by Riverside. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, for another episode of What the Football Podcast. I'm your host, Conway T, and let me tell you, it is dizzying heights for some in the Premier League. No, you are not seeing things. That is the mighty Gooners tied with Manchester City at the top of the table. And that is correct. At the opposite end of the table, we have Manchester United looking to score a goal and hopefully not having to go through their training archives to find the goal of the month. Or perhaps they'll select an own goal. We will wait to see. Anyway, it has been a hell of an interesting weekend with more results. Liverpool remaining winless after their draw with Crystal Palace at home. And Darwin saw red as the red mist descended on the Uruguayan as he got his first red card. And indeed, uh, one of the first red cards in Klopp's entire era, a straight red. Very strange to see. Arsenal, of course, put Leicester City to the sword, winning 4-2 and maintaining their strong start with Jesus involved in everything positive for them. Of course, we had Brentford with a brilliant result and one of the results of the weekend, putting a hapless Manchester United to the sword and winning 4-0. We've also got, of course, the local derby that occurred between Spurs and Chelsea. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, do we have a rivalry on our hands? It was a tasty affair with the Conte and uh, what is his name? Of course, we're talking about the ex-Borussia Dortmund coach, Tuchel, which they are now calling the Conte and Tuchel Salsa. It was a thing to behold if you saw it on the weekend. But I'll tell you what, boys, it was a hell of a weekend. I have to start somewhere. We'll start at the top. Wade, you must be a happy man. No wonder you wanted to come back and do this podcast. Arsenal are flying. Yeah, we're going well. Um, you know, I think we we went into the season with a lot of momentum. So I won't say I'm surprised by the start. Um, I think it's just been a continuation of what we saw preseason. I know you can't read too much into the results, um, you know, when you are looking at preseason. But what you can see is, you know, the patterns of play, how much effort the guys are putting in, you know, the passing, is it crisp, is it sharp, is everyone on the same page? Uh, and you could really see that from preseason. And then you add to the mix the guys that we've signed, um, Jesus and Zinchenko, they've just taken us up another level. You know, a lot of people will look at those guys and go, oh, you know, they weren't regular starters for City and this, that and the other. But the reality is City could probably put out a second team and they'd still beat 16 or 17 teams in the league. So uh, it's nothing to be scoffed at. And I think they're both uh, at an age... And at a stage in their careers where they've got a point to prove. So they've hit the ground running. I'm, I'm delighted with how we're traveling. As you guys know, I said at the first week, week that we came back, I've got big expectations for us this season. So we got a good start. We got Bournemouth next. We got Fulham at home. We got Villa at home. So, you know, it could be a really good start for us. But let's see what happens when the wobble comes. Because I know at some stage... Um, we're going to be surprised and I'm interested to see how we react from that. But for now, we'll keep riding this wave, you know, so it's good. I'm happy. And Rads, I guess from your point as a rival fan, have you seen something uh, tactical that's changed from um, that's changed from Oteta? Or is this really just the uh, the coming together of his original blueprint and now having the players that he wanted? No, I think I see him playing quite similar to the the way they were playing last season. They've just got better players in positions that are making it count. So um, I think, uh, you know, whether they trust the process is is, is, is the thing. Um, but I, I still think it's very early. I know um, it's, it's fantastic when you've got your signings, you know, having such a good start. The, the real test is when the wobble comes in uh, and, and how how do they stack up and they've got a nice run of fixtures and you can only beat the front of you so you want to make sure you take the run of fixtures and you and you and you get maximum points out of it um so you make it you know you can build yourself a momentum and you put yourself in a conversation so they're doing all the right things but you know i still don't you know i, I didn't have them in the top four i think they would be close um i, I had chelsea in the in, in, ahead of them um but you know, I think they're going to push it close. But it's it's only two games in. It's very early, yeah. 
And wait, if I change that angle, I, I just want to maybe put out there a little bit of a, a, a depth conversation of the Arsenal squad. When I look at that bench, you know, it's it's not a lot of depth, if I'm honest. And maybe you think a little bit differently, but I see the likes of Pepe still there. I see the likes of Rob Holding. Um, you know, there's some a couple of kids on there, Turner, and of course, in Ketia. I know you raved on about Tami Yasso, but, you know, that was a, a start for him as well. Do you still think there's more needed for the squad to, I guess this year is all about maybe challenging for the four and maybe having some runs in the cup, but to get to that next level, there's there's probably more reinforcements that need to be had? Yeah, well, I, I think it's important to separate, like, you know, when we talk about going to that next level, um, you know, are we talking about top four or are we talking about, you know, really trying to push the top two? Let me uh, ask this think, question. Is, is the yeah. squad strong enough now to push into the top four, which is maybe the measure of this year? Beyond that, do you think the squad is then capable to go further or further reinforcements are needed? So probably two quick. Yeah, yeah. I think as it stands, I think we've got enough to get top four. I'm very confident of that. Um, you know, depth-wise, we have improved. You know, towards the end, of, there's only one position I'm... And that's if party goes down because we don't have another person that can come in and play as a, a lone midfielder in front of that back four who's as press resistant as he is, um, you know, who can beat players on the turn and get things going moving forward and who can pick a pass. Um, so that's a position I'm really concerned about. And I know we're still in the market to, you know, try and get at least a backup for party, um, you know, should he go down or, you know, if stories are to believed, other things occur um, and he's not available. Um, that's one position I am concerned about. But, you know, if you told me last year that Tierney wasn't going to be fit going into the season, I would have been worried. Um, but we've got Zinchenko now who's come in and, and can do a job there. Um, you know, Martinelli's playing really well. We've still got guys to come in. Fabio Vieira hasn't played yet. He's a player I'm really excited to see because uh, if you he listen to Porto fans, he's the next big thing coming out of Portugal. So he hasn't he hasn't even featured yet. Um, I'm happy with our depth. Saliba coming in is is, is a, another really good option. Um, you know, if White or Gabriel went down last year, we would have been in trouble. Um, so in terms of pushing for top four, I think we've got enough now. But I also don't think we're finished in the market. You know, if you listen to Edu or Mikel and what they're saying, we've still got a few outgoings. I think we just let about three players go this week, um, another two or three still to go. And we're still in the market for a center mid and a, a wide player as well. So there's more still to come, I believe. Um, but in terms of top four, I think we're I think we're we're right in the mix, if anything. I know there's a few teams that can still take it, but I'd put us in that conversation 100 percent And I'm confident that we won't only get top four. I think we're the third best team in the league, honestly. I felt that way going into the season before the start. And I still feel that way. So let's see how it pans out. But I don't think we're done in the market just yet. I think uh, uh, before maybe Rudz is shaking his head, I'll let him say something. But I think the only thing for me that would stumble Arsenal to push beyond fourth, um, so pushing into that third spot, is your squad. I, I do believe a few injuries to people like Jesus. You're then relying on people like Inketia to take you forward. That's a little bit concerning if that's your only backup that you've got across the squad in terms of a nine position. So I do worry in that sense. I think midfield, you're probably covered there with Smith-Rowe and a, a couple of others. And then defensively, I think you've got a couple of issues. I'm just talking about injuries occurring. You know, I think that's where it comes un unstuck for Arsenal, um, especially if it's long injuries and sustained injuries to key players. Um but we'll shift on from the Arsenal. I want to move to the, the game at Stamford Bridge. A lot of controversy. We Of course, we saw the two managers embark on some crazy stuff. And, you know, we haven't seen that in a while. And as fans, we love to see it. But, of course, the tango at the end, which resulted in the red card, it was actually it was quite funny to see. And all the memes and gifts that came out afterwards. I remember seeing the gif of the two of them doing a little bit of a, a salsa kind of move. I swear people got time on the internet. But um, <laughs> I can't stop laughing just having the image in my head. But I wanted to ask you about the actual game and more the controversy. So, of course, we saw a lot made of it. You know, we've had our our resident uh, Chelsea fan, Moni, talk about it, but he thought both goals should have been disallowed. Um, what was your take on the first goal where we had, of course, Rick Collison 
kind of, well, not kind of, he was in an offside position. Do you believe he was influencing play? And do you believe it was a, a goal that should have should have not stood? Is it me or is it Radza? We cannot hear Radza. You might be having technical difficulties. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Now we can. Yes. First can. of all, let me start with this. That <laughs> is a rivalry, Connell. That's what we want to see. Not just hugging and kissing me after the game between Klopp and Guardiola. This is what we paid our marcher for. This is what we want to see in the league. A little bit Two of managers. spice. A little bit of That's spice. That's the spice. That's what we're talking about. This is what creates something. Now the next time we to face up. Everyone's going to be hooked in because of this rivalry that is that is blown out from from the intense game. The calls that were, you know, marginal. I think there was some there's some strange calls in the game. Uh, I've gone through the the VAR stuff and looked at Richarlison stuff whether it was in in play or not. Look, I think it's it's harsh if you're a Chelsea um, supporter. I think Chelsea were were good for the win. Um, I, I was, you know, of, of all the teams that played this weekend, yeah, I was probably the most. Yeah, I was I was most, the most impressed with Chelsea. I I think they, f- for me, I think they were the third best team in the league. Um, you know, I I thought Spurs might have been that to take over. I look at them. Hey, you know, if, from that back and they've added Cucurella to you know challenge Chilwell, but you have got Chilwell and Reese James there. Wow, bro, Reese James. And I know I don't want to get into a conversation about Reese James versus Trent Alexander Arnold, but just in terms of Reese James himself. What what a player! Yeah, that light is a baller. I I, I think he's, you know, I think they, you know, in terms of who will, who starts in that position, I think Southgate is probably favouring James. I think Trent is more suited for the Liverpool style. That doesn't mean I'm saying James is a better player, but but wow, what a player! You know, Kulubali is just you know seamlessly joined into this team. You know that finish he had. I know I'm talking about his striking side. That finish from a defender. Wow. Wow, you know, N'Golo Kante, you know, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on with his, with his injury, bro, but there was a reason he was coveted as like the best DM in the world. That all, the, the, the ground, he's so important to that team. They are, they are missing a, a striker and I know they are going to be very active in the market. I think it's well known. They're looking for two or three players. But, you know, let's not forget a couple of years ago, this team won the Champions League. You know, this is a, a quality team with some quality players in there. I, I, I'm, I was really, really impressed with uh, Chelsea because be, before the season started, when we're talking about it, we just thought there was a little bit signs of turmoil in the club. There's a little bit of conversations about, you know, Tuchel sounds a bit edgy, yeah, like he's, he's, you know, sort of plotting an exit strategy. But that's not what I see. I, I see some, you know, players and the coaches fully committed to the season. So I think they're going to be r- right in there. Um, but... Yeah, look, um, the one thing with Spurs, with, with Conte, they just show they never say die. And there's that fighting element. And then you've got someone like Richarlison to come off the bench. I, I was going to say a fancy C-letter word, because, but he, that's, that's what he is, bro. He's just that that irritating player that, you know... He's just punch him in his face. He's, he's punching. Even even with the red cards, you know, pointing to, hey, you, 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 never, you, you missed this, so give him a card. Where's the card? You know what I mean? He's just... Yeah, he's a nuisance, but I, I, I enjoyed that game. I think, uh, um, you know, at least I enjoyed one game this weekend. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> Wade, is, uh, is Raj getting ahead of himself? It was only last week we spoke about the Everton-Chelsea game and what a bore fest that was and how poor Chelsea looked. And, you know, this week is obviously a derby and going into that, it was a, it's always going to be a step up. And it was a home game, of course, at Stamford Bridge, which makes all the difference in a team's intensity. You didn't seem very impressed there. I could see by your facial expressions you were kind of like, mm, yeah, I'm not buying into that one. I love the game. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed all the drama that came with it. But I think City, Arsenal and Brent outstanding teams this weekend for me personally. I thought they had everything. In terms of this game, Chelsea and Spurs, I thought box-to-box Chelsea were a much better team. Their build-up play was better. Their passing was crisp. But to me, they you could see they're lacking that focal point up front. And I think ultimately that's going to be their undoing. They don't have a proper number nine. You know, they created a, they, they, they created a lot of good situations. But I don't remember exactly the keeper getting peppered. You know, I don't remember Lloris having to make save after save or anything like that. So the build-up play... Yes, they dominated completely and deserved the win. The two goals should have been disallowed, in my opinion. 
Um, so I think box to box, they were much better. No doubt about that. But I just, I didn't see anything up front, to be completely honest. I thought they were quite toothless. I thought they were really lacking that focal point. James was excellent. Yes, Rudds is right about that. Richarlison came on. I didn't even know he was on the field, though, to be completely honest. Yeah, he gets involved in things, but I don't remember him creating anything. I don't remember shots on target from him. I don't remember him putting in a good cross. I think Spurs' window has been massively overrated. I said it before the season. I'll say it again. None of their signings have started any game so far. I mean, how can we say they've taken another step forward when, to me, they have the same threats as last year? They have a Kane who can make a difference in the last minute. It's exactly the same as last year. And this Spurs performance was a typical Spurs performance. Absolutely nothing on attack. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's too... I mean, that's... that's it's not Mitchell. It's Spurs because I saw the same thing under Nuno. No, I saw the same thing under Nuno before them. And I saw the same thing under Mourinho before them. Nothing on attack, but, but, but they've the got Kane and Son. So, yeah, but it, you, no, you I, I, I thought Johnson they were quite attacking. I remember Moses being excellent down that right-hand side. I remember them being much more free-flowing um, at Spurs. Uh, yeah, sorry, so at Chelsea. They played, a, they played a similar shape with um, three at the back. With shape, yeah. Um, a typical and, Spurs... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I know since. Yeah, I mean, since Conte's come in, you know, there, there's a lot of fights in that team. So I think they. One thing is they haven't been Spursy, where they just lay lay down. You know, I think they, for them to get a point at Chelsea, and that's when they've been um, overplayed like that. I think that shows a lot of character from them. And the one thing with the, the signings, the second game, I think he's going to integrate his signings in slowly. And I think that's fine because he's got a squad. He's got to manage that squad. Um, I think you find a lot of managers do that in terms of some of the new signings. Not You, you won't always find them go straight into the, into the team. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think what, you know, we, we, we just spoke about whether the goal should have stood because of Charleston was there or not. I mean, that, that's, that's involvement in a goal, bro. That's, that's him being involved. You know that, that that's a that's a a, a a pivotal moment in the game. Uh, Perisic came more on. Didn't Perisic have the assist, or did I get that wrong? Wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he did have good? he did oh. have the assist. Yeah, and that was there was some some ball as well. So I think um, you know some of the stuff with bringing in squad and adding depth is you got a, a higher level of competition in the squad. Um, so you can't re- you don't reward complacency. So you may think, oh, why did he didn't need to bring that because it doesn't doesn't have an impact on the starting team, but it does because. That person in the starting lineup has to perform week in, week out, or they're out of the team. They're out of the lineup. There's no, you know, previously, it doesn't matter how well you're performing or not. There's no better option, so you're going you're gonna to keep your spot. So I think that's something that they've added that was, that's important for Conte. So I don't know. I think uh, uh, you, you're pretty harsh on Spurs at the moment. Yeah, I, would, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't disagree with a lot of what you're saying, Wade, on the, in the sense of the way... Conte has set Spurs up. They are they are still a very counter-attacking team, and that's where the strengths lie, and they play to those strengths. But I, I would challenge the notion that this is the same Spurs because the Spurs under Conte is way more resilient than anything I've seen before. The Spurs, someone said, I think in our group, Rads, it might have been Gardner or even Moni, our typical Spurs. And he was, uh, sorry, Gardner, just for perspective, Wade, is an Arsenal supporter. So it seems to be a consistent message that comes from Arsenal. Uh, this is a typical Spurs performance. Actually, I would, I'd say it's not a typical Spurs performance because they would have lost that game if this was a typical Spurs performance, not drawn it. That's the yeah. Spurs I know. The they play, you know, they're hanging the, in there. Throwing it away, yeah. Throwing it away. They did it against Liverpool last year in the, after the, the Conte game. In fact, just before the end of the season. Again, that game there, they could have easily lost. But Spurs have got this newfound resilience within them. In fact, I don't think they've lost to a single top six team since Conte's come in. That shows a change straight away. Because that Spurs team was losing for fun against Liverpool before that and other teams. Yet when he's come in, there's a different resilience to them. He's also blooding in a lot of new players. You think about Emerson Royale from last season. Sessegnon, that lighty from Fulham. Then you've, of course, got players like uh, Kuliskeski, who signed at the second half of the season. Benton Kurt. There's actually a hell of a lot of new players. They've only been there for like five months. Romero. And then you've got new players that they've signed. So I, I think... Yeah, Spurs are being underplayed by some, but I, 
you know, they're never going to be the swashbuckling team. Arsenal will play better football than them and probably be better on the eye. Who actually gets over the line at the end is, um, I think, is going to be very, very, very tight. And it's going to be contrasting styles that gets both those teams there. I mean, if you're asking me who I'd rather watch, I'd rather watch Arsenal play. Having said that, Spurs will get results just as much as any other team in my eyes. But it would certainly will be interesting to see how it plays out. I guess one of the, the big things from the games on the weekend, uh, boys, was of course the, um, you know, we got to give some love to the newly promoted teams, but we did see a, a first win at the city ground for, for Nottingham Forest. Uh, you know, beating West Ham. I'm not sure a lot of people saw that result coming, but that's West Ham with two losses. You know, I probably called it early on. I don't see West Ham having the season they did last season. I do see them dropping off. Um, do you do are you thinking the same things here, Wade? Or uh, what did you make of that result for Nottingham Forest? And I guess more importantly, also for West Ham, two losses on the bounce. Hey. Rads, you're going to have to jump in. Uh, look, I think it's sometimes hard to back it up. You know, you can be on a run where you're building momentum that West, like West Ham were, right? So West Ham were on, a, on, on really good runs, building things. They've got a good team. But I think you get, you get worked out sometimes. Um, and, you know, teams that may not have shown you as much respect last season um, are showing you a little bit more and, you know, um, are not playing as open as they may have been playing before with West Ham. So um, they're going to find it difficult, more difficult to get those points. I think they are still capable of, of reaching the heights. And when, talk, when I'm saying heights, where did they finish? They finished seventh or eighth? Um, uh, I think seventh or eighth, yeah. Yeah, I think they'll probably be there, thereabouts anyway, uh, even if they have a, a, a poor start. So, um, but definitely not a, you know, in, a, in a European place. I think there are better teams that, that may be pushing that. I'll go as far as to say as West Ham will drop out of the top 10 this year. I just I just don't see them having that consistency. I think I think the push for Europe last year exerted a lot of energy in some of those players. Yeah. And I'm just a little bit concerned that a lot of those players, I'm not sure if they if got the mental fortitude to go again and, and maintain those levels for another season. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I suppose it'll be... Wait, uh, now that you're back after a couple of technical difficulties on that West Ham uh, game, what did you, you know, first of all, kudos to, to Forrest, but what do you make of the, the two losses now for West Ham? Yeah, well, I think the first one, you know, pretty tough. Um, so, you know, I thought they would actually bounce back against Forrest. I had them um, as one of my picks, so I was surprised to see them lose that. But I watched this game. And uh, the city ground was rocking, uh, really was. Uh, you can tell that there's a buzz around Forest. They've made some decent signings. They've made quite a few signings. Um, I think they've been one of the biggest spenders so far. So that's always a worry. You always think, how's it going to pan out over the course of a season? It doesn't always work when you just make a load of signings um, into a new team. Everyone's got to sort of integrate. So, um, But they were excellent. West Ham created a lot of chances, could have had a few more goals. Uh, West Ham came back strong in the second half. I thought they they hit the bar a couple of times, possibly could have got back into it, but I think thoroughly deserved from Forrest. But it's um, it's hard to tell with these new teams because sometimes they come into the league and they have a bit of a run early on and they start to sort of fizzle out um, around Christmas and after that. So let's see how it goes. I mean, running, they could be in for an exciting season. Uh, in terms of West Ham, I didn't really have them dropping down. I think it's a little bit early to say. I want to see this kid uh, Skamaka that they bought from Italy. He, he's come in with high, um, you know, high raps on him. He's in the Italian national team. He's someone we were linked with. So I want to see how he goes because I feel they've lacked that striker up top for a while now. You know, Antonio's filled in. So. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but it's going to be a lot tighter. Now. And I think Newcastle are going to be pushing them as well. There's a couple of other teams that could be in that conversation for, you know, those last couple of Europa League spots. So it's going to be tighter than ever for them. So let's see how it pans out. Interesting times indeed. We are going to transition to our next um, segment, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, this segment is going to cover off... Oh. No worries, I'll just drop another transition in there. 
But I, this segment will cover off, and I wanted to talk, guys, uh, about an interesting change that I suppose occurred this year. Um, the English League was the last to actually take this on. But, of course, the five-substitution rule that has come in. I guess I wanted to get you... I wanted to, to dive in to understand, maybe for the listeners, what, what changes we think this will have. I've read a lot of articles about, you know, this influencing the, the bigger squads. I've had counter-arguments that it's, it's, it's fair to all to kind of have this, this new five-substitution uh, and was the logical thing to do. Of course, for those that don't know, the English Premier League was the last of all the major European leagues to actually adopt the five-substitution um, rule. Um, so, Raj, I might start with you. What have you made of the change? Have you welcomed it? And how? what's your thoughts on the positioning with, uh, you know, the elite versus the middle, the smaller clubs, and what effect this change has on them? Look, I think the numbers of uptake in terms of using five subs hasn't been as high as you may anticipate it to be. Um, I think there's, you know, most are not using all five subs. Um, so that that's the, the one angle to put on it. Um I think logically, you think through it, you would think that the bigger clubs have more depth um, and the ability to to then, you know, substitute a world class player for another world class player, and up and then we're saying five of those world class for world class um, is 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 telling when you've got some clubs that you know once they've they've passed three or four, uh, well, two or three players, you know, you're really getting the quality lessons so they'd probably be less likely to make use that five subs um throughout the season um but it also interrupts the rhythm of a game and the rhythm of a team so you'd also then find some of the you know the very top managers not wanting that 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 rhythm to be upset unless the game is gone the game is done and then you can start resting players um so let's see i think um i've not i've not seen it have a massive impact today um, but it, I think it's just making sure that we are in line and aligned with the rest of Europe because we play in European competitions. So when, you, when you're playing the Champions League semis, as an example, and, you know, 3-0 halftime, game is basically done, and you've got a big t- European tie coming on, you know, being able to rest five players that can start in that European tie is a, is a massive advantage. Um, so I think that's probably when we might see it play a bigger impact but uh yeah like i said to, to date two games in not many clubs are using all five um so i, I don't i don't i don't see a, a big impact you're on mute gotta get better at this technology stuff i said statistically in europe one of the articles i read uh, about a week or so ago was talking about the impact of the five subs since it's been introduced in europe and the uptake if i'm not mistaken was at about 50 percent so in other words about 50 percent of clubs were actually utilizing um five 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 substitutions per game i guess my question to you is what impact do you see this having with the with the likes of say a city or a Liverpool versus the likes of say a Brentford and a Nottingham Forest, do you think the impact is greater at the top end with this rule, or do you think the impact is greater or more um, controversial for the bottom end of the table? That for me or for Wade? Well, I cannot sort Wade's internet issues out at the minute, so it's going to have to be for you at this point. Yeah, look, I think um, in terms of more impactful, um, like I said, logically, logically, I would assume it would be more impactful for the, the top end of the table. I think they'd have, um, with the resources at, at, at their disposal, you know, I think it just, make, for me, makes sense for them to to gain the biggest benefit from having five subs. Yeah, I guess when I look at it, it's a, it's a good rule that needed to come in. I can't understand why the Premier League must always drag their heels in certain things. And I don't know, they probably have a bit of an ego thing about certain things and not wanting to follow uh, some of the other leagues and be the last ones to kind of get yeah. there across the line. Because this was a no-brainer. You know, there was a lot of stuff written about, you know, obviously Klopp calling for it. But there were a lot of managers asking for the same thing. He was just kind of made the mouthpiece because he generally doesn't shut up once he gets a, 
a bone or a bee in his bonnet, so to speak. He just keeps going till the end of time. But it's a welcome thing for, for all teams. And I think it has as much benefit at the lower end as it does at the top end. It's very hard to say which one is going to influence which. Because to your point, Rads, not every manager will want to make five because of the disruption it causes in a game. You know, you're yeah. talking about nearly 10 stoppages. Um, 30 seconds, that's almost adding an additional five minutes on a game just in substitutions alone. So we could see a bit of a more you know, stagnated stop-start approach to games as that goes on. Um, or you might see managers persisting with the three. The good thing, I think, about this rule is that it's given them the option. And yeah. having that option, as you said, has its benefits and also its flaws. I think it's up to each team to make those calls as they go along the way in this rule. Wade, do you want to have another crack there, sir, maybe, if your internet's any better? How's it sounding now? Good? A bit better. Let's see how long we can hold you for. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, uh, I, I, well, I'll just echo what Rudd's uh, mentioned before. I think the biggest thing is, you know, bringing on five subs, it, it's going to interrupt, you know, your flow, how you're playing the combinations, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think it's going to be a huge factor. Of course, if you've got a stronger squad and you've got five good players that can come off the it's not your advantage in that regard, but all for the best spectacle, you know. So if this is going to protect the players, if this means less injuries, if this means the best players staying on the field for long, I'm all for that. Because ultimately, that's what I want to see, right? I want to see the best players on the pitch. Um, and if this is a way to sort of prevent, as I said, injuries and, you know, players potentially missing games. Yeah, just on that... Yeah, so just on that, so, um, you know, we're talking about keeping the best players on the pod for longer. One of the things that, that has been interesting is the the interruption to the normal preseason and flow and timing of, of, of the season. Um, so there's been a number of injuries in a few weeks, um, and there's a question mark, and there's, there's, there's no real um, solid answer to it, of, of whether the... You know, the fast-track season um, and the lack in between um, is to blame for some of the injuries like Thiago and others um, because there's, there's many, not just in England, that are falling foul of, of getting these injuries um, and they think it might be not having that cyclical rest. So, you know, you, you, you give one thing with the five stars, but you take away with trying to... This year. So I thought that was something that's... Something that's interesting, maybe for, something just for us to just keep an eye on in terms of um, how you know what the injury rate looks like over the next few weeks. I think that's a very valid point, and that's not just speaking about obviously the the number of injuries at Liverpool, but when you think about the way the season ended last year, the obviously the ongoing internationals, the 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 players really coming back in a much shorter space of time. The fact that the league has started two weeks before. So, you know, by the end of September, we're going to be five, six games in, where normally you're two to three games in. Mm. That's double the amount of games. Um, as I said, you know, on, I think on the first week, I think this is going to be a strange season, given that the, you've got a World Cup shoehorned in the middle of, a, of all the major leagues, where some leagues are off for three months. Other leagues, like the Premier League, pretty much are off for the for the for the duration of the tournament, and I think one week either side. Um, so it's really interesting dynamics this year. And uh, you know what, Rudds, it might have a it might have a, a, an actual given the preseason that we've had a, a direct correlation to these injuries that we're seeing yeah. currently happening because it is very strange the amount of injuries we are seeing. Um, so something we're probably going to have to monitor as as the season goes on. Hundred percent. Uh. And Wade, I wanted to touch on one more thing, guys. So we could talk about it for maybe two minutes, but we obviously see it in NRL. We see it in rugby union. We see it in, I think, cricket even to an extent where, you know, where, where reviews are done and, and conversations are had between umpires and, and, um, and, of course, the guys upstairs. So I know I read an article where the Premier League are looking to bring this in at some point, uh, potentially during the course of the season or maybe at the start of next. But... Would that be a welcome change for you, Wade, where refs are actually talking openly with the VAR and the fans are actually included in those conversations? Is that something you see as a positive in football or something that is just going to create more frustration and controversy? 
Before I answer that, I just want to ask, um, why are we letting Rudz off the hook so easily tonight? <laughs> we know. We know. <laughs> I think there's a whole segment Rudd, coming Rudd up, bro. Let's relax. Rudd is just, smiling just... there, boy. I'm wondering what's going on. When are we talking he's... about Brentford's masterclass? Huh? He's, he's roping me in, bro, just to <laughs> shut me down just before we go. Because I know, I know how this plan works. Because you know why? Because it's Liverpool next week. So he's an ended one. How shits are Man United? And by the way, guess who you got next? You got Liverpool, dog. <laughs> he's, he's giving you a false sense of security, huh? Ah, and he's just like, hey, let's talk about things. That, let's, let's, let's get this old news before he shuts down and then he starts dying on the stream. Uh, While he's can still articulate himself a oh, yeah, little bit. Um, let's, get him, let's get him on the pod. <laughs> oh, I was actually I was trying that. to be I was trying to be nice. I was trying to be nice yeah, for the change. Yeah, but anyway. Nah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But season ahead I'm more moments to come, so <laughs> there's plenty. And if we focused on United every week for being poor, we wouldn't talk about anyone else. <laughs> uh I'm all for transparency. So, you know, I'd love to hear the conversations. I'd like to know how the refs are getting to these decisions. So I think that will also uh, stop a lot of arguments because, I mean, take the, the Chelsea Spurs game, for example. How he didn't give a free kick after Romero's clearly pulling um, Cucurella's hair is, is beyond me, you know. I really want to know what that conversation is like between the ref and I think it was Mike Dean who was on VAR that day because that... Right, that's a that's a foul. I mean, I don't see look at that any other way. So, I think yeah, it, it so would be good just, for just fans. Just to clarify on that, and um, there, yeah. there has been some clarity on it. They can only intervene if they think that's a red card. Um, they can't intervene on any yellow card. That's offenses. what I thought. They're, 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 I think people get confused. Where, where I'm not saying you wait, but in general, when I hear it's like VAR needs to VAR does not have complete jurisdiction over a game to call every incident. So I, I always knew that when it came to fouls or stuff being committed, they can only jump in when it's a red card. Other than that, it's the decision okay. of the ref. And if he's so I'll, counter, I'll counter with this. I'll counter. There was a foul called on when, uh, when West Ham scored and they called the goal back and they said, no, nah, it was a foul. That wasn't a red card. So how come they pulled that up? That, yeah, so if that's a, different. If a foul, that's different. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. but but anything but, else that that um, a yellow card, like unless it's going to be not. a red card. So, so why was there a check the, the in the first place then? Why was there a check in the first place the for check the Cucurella? Because card. if it was a red card offense, then um, you know I think that's probably yeah. a, should be a red card offense or not. Well, that I mean was, that, that, that's that was, that's 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 something they have to address, right? Because if you 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 you're looking at something like that and it's clearly a foul, you need to call it a foul. Right, I mean that's that's depends. something that do needs we want to be addressed. Do so, we want VAR to read yeah, the you, game. Yeah, that's, so that's the, the thing. So do we want VAR to look at every foul in the game? Oh, that was a yellow card. I never give it, you know. But it wasn't a goal score. Like if, if, I think if it's clear and obvious. obvious. Yeah, I think if it's clear and obvious. Yeah, but there's not that's foul. Yeah, but that's, that's that's extremely difficult to judge, Wade. Like I, we've had arguments about what we think are penalties and fouls. If refs start analyzing fouls, the game will never move. Yeah, it's open I to me. Know. That's I opening think, up a can of worms. Yeah, no, I hear that. I hear that. And I mean, in general play, if stuff like that happens, it's fine. But I mean, when you've got an incident like that, it's like yeah. I don't see how you can't call it. If you're stopping the game anyway to check it, I don't see how you can't say that. You know, that's a foul. I mean, it's yeah, it's clear as day. There's 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 the just point. if you're looking at it in the first place, it shouldn't just be like red or yeah. just still interrupting play. Oh. Why not just call the foul? Yeah, I get you. I get you. But I also think it's important to them to set those guidelines. So because if they don't, yeah, then they will get too many interventions. And I'm many, all yeah. for that's I'm fair. all for us, yeah. um, you know, having a bigger reliance on, on the ref's call. The ref will make mistakes. There'll be some calls that won't get right, you know. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to real things like things, uh, I don't I don't even like it for penalties. Um, you know, I, I think yeah. it, it shouldn't. Yeah. But, um, you know, goals, offsides, um, red cards. You know, that no, should I can, be more. It should be more free flowing. I, I get where you guys are yeah. coming from because I'm a big rugby fan, and I can tell you right now, rugby stops for every single thing, and it's uh, it's time consuming, 
it's really affecting you know people watching the game and the aesthetics of it all. So I do understand that. But I just feel like for incidents like this, if you're checking something already, and it shouldn't just be red or no red, because you're already using that time anyway, yeah. right? There's already an interruption in the game. Be, I think that so would be fair. I call think, the foul I think if, if you see the foul. So Yeah, I think if they're saying um, if a game has already been stopped for, for VAR... And, and it, is, and it a discussion of foul. I think that's fine. But I think if they're giving them license to stop it because they think there's a foul, um, yeah. then I don't yeah. think that's right. Fair play. If they stop yeah, it but... because they think there's a red card, they think it's a penalty, they think that something shouldn't be a goal, then that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it's a it's an interesting so... one because I, I just feel like it's <laughs> once you open the door, guys, yeah, the door gets booted open, and before yeah. you know it it's taken over completely. So we have to talk carefully with what we think is good and what's not because as good as VAR has been, it can also be very frustrating in a game. It has changed the way a game is viewed at the same time. Um, and it, it, as Rod said, you, you know, as much as you want accuracy of decisions, <laughs> you also want, you're never going to get things to the point of where I think people want, which is 100% accuracy. That, that, that world does not exist. So we have to kind of find that balance. And look, I'm, yeah. to me, if it's a goal-scoring incident, and that was literally a foul created just before the goal, you check that and it is. But it's an incident prior to that. The next incident has nothing to do with anything. That's just shit Chelsea marking, and they concede a goal in the last minute. So yeah. I know we like to blame refs and go, they should have done. But at the end of the day, Chelsea got themselves in that position and conceded that goal at the end. Because they should have wrapped that game up way before then. But we are, we'll isolate that one incident where a guy pulled someone's hair and blame that incident as to why Chelsea, you know, speaking separate to, to, the, to, to what actually went on. So let's, I, I, don't, I think we shouldn't get caught up in the little details because sometimes with VAR, if you, if you let it open too far, we, we, we'll get to a point of no return eventually. We might as well get robots to do the games and have infrared lines shooting all over the place at at some stage, because that's kind of where the game is headed at this point. But it's an interesting conversation to be had. Um, and we certainly will monitor the five substitution rule as that pans out and see once the Premier League introduces the conversations between the ref and VAR. I, for one, would welcome those conversations, because at least we would have a little bit more clarity as to what the hell they're actually saying. Because right now, everybody is guessing, as we can see. But of course, we have Powered to move on Riverside FM. to the trivia. And I had to put ice on myself last week after the pasting I got from Wade. I did listen back to the podcast. There was a massive delay on my side, which was an absolute disaster. Having said that, that had absolutely nothing to do with my loss. And uh, Wade did trounce me in that first week, including the Aguero one, Wade. Even listening to it back, you were you were actually first with that one. So I'll give it to you. That's <laughs> trivia monster. Yeah, well, shot, shot, Connell. It's easy to, uh, you know, admit to those when there was a massive gap anyway. So I think when it's a bit tighter, you might be coming back. To- <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> that, that was mine. <laughs> I'll swing back to that as the season goes on. Um, but we know the rules. Ten, ten questions. Fastest to, um, to call it out wins. Um and we'll take it from. Who became the highest goal scorer for a single club over the weekend? Harry Kane. Wade takes the first one up. Oh, my goodness, guys. He, he, absolutely he, he, on fire. The record of um, Sergio Aguero. I think it's 124. Mm. Talking about goal scorers and top goal scorers, the top goal scorer in the league at the moment is the OG, right? currently accounting for 12.5% of all goals scored. The previous highest ever in a season is 5% of goals. How many goals do you think have been on goals this season to date? Six. Seven. Seven. Connell gets it. Seven out of 56 <laughs> goals. <laughs> what a guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, Darwin Nunes is the second LFC player to be sent off. Robinson. In, uh, First Premier League appearance. Oh, first, okay. Who was the first? Oh, Joe Cole. Wow. The correct answer? The, uh, the rest of the I question think we were, was... Of course, he was a Liverpool Arsenal. 
Yeah, well, it was Arsenal Christian as well. That's why I thought it would be appropriate because the the game was against Arsenal in 2010. Yep. So, so it'll be a game that you both would have watched. So, um, so two Connell, points, yeah. Thank Connell's you. Until. Only Liverpool have won more points from losing positions than this team. City. Say that again. Only Liverpool have won Spurs. more points. It is Spurs. Spurs. Yeah. Who is the only player to score more goals than Harry Kane in Premier League London derbies? Henry. It is Thierry Henry. So I have even up the Liverpool and Arsenal questions. Thanks, just so appreciate that. Appreciate that, <laughs> Which defender has been involved in the most goals since the start of the uh, start of last season? James. It is Rhys James. Connell is back in it. Yeah. This is a this is this is a tight one this week. Oh, well, at least I'm it's a competition it. for once. The competition is on. Uh, he did his since his first him. game in charge, right? Since this manager's first game in charge, only Pep and Klopp have won more games. Antonio Conte. Who did you say, Wade? No, no. So, Eddie so Howe. Who, not Eddie Howe. But let me finish the question. Okay, okay, hint, okay, okay. The hint in the question, right? First game in charge, only Pip and Klopp have won more games in the top two English tiers. In the top. So I'm talking uh, about the Premier League. Marco Silva. And the champion. Marco no, Silva. Uh, no. Nope. Uh, Scott Parker. Not Scott Parker. There's only one other there can be. I don't even know who the manager is. Uh, uh, nobody, uh, 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 nobody knows uh, uh, the manager of this of of the third promoted team. Uh, <laughs> who did you say, Scott Parker? Or who? Who's that? Uh, I'm not telling Marcus you. Silver. No, why did you tell me? Why did you tell me? Um, <laughs> I don't know where to go, Mama. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no! I hope I you. Do. I actually have no know. idea I if mean, you get it. I'm struggling. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who the coach is of the of Forest. Of of Nottingham Forest. Oh, uh, no uh, what's his? I don't know. Uh, no, I'd be lying if I said I knew. I can see his face. Is Steve, there, I want to say Steve. Someone. Do Steve Copper. Anyway. Steve Copper. Oof. Steve Copper. Steve Copper. No, no. Look, Copper. Steve, Steve Cooper. Steve, Steve Cooper. Steve Cooper. I will yes. 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 Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, I thought you guys were done and dusted there, but I can, uh, you, you know you what? I, I could see his face. He's got those like lazy eyes. I could see his dial. I just yeah, very like, lazy eyes. Name. He looks yeah. like he looks like he was puzzling before the game. He looks like he was <laughs> um, yeah. Who scored the highest XG? In a game they lost over the weekend. Vardy. As a team. So which team? Oh, Leicester. Had... Not Leicester. Um... Everton. Not Everton. West Ham. Bournemouth. It is West Ham. Oh, Wade takes that one. Two questions to go, boys. Which high-profile forward? Has never scored in the in the second game of the season. They've had six seasons. Harry Kane. Me- oh no, Firmino. No. Ronaldo. Not Ronaldo. Hype. Wilson. He scored in every single one, every single one of the first games of the season, but not the second. Son. Not son. Salah. It is Muhammad Salah. Salah, yeah, you're right. He scored in the first game, but he's failed to score in the second game. How the hell is that? That's crazy. He scored six straight first seasons and never scored the second game. Yeah. So let me do the six scores. I think it's 5 4. Connell has to take this question out for him to to be in it. So. Who fielded, which team fielded on the weekend the youngest team in the league? Arsenal. Since Arsenal. 1993. It is not Arsenal. Leeds. Not Leeds. Southampton? Bournemouth. Not Southampton and not Bournemouth. What? Brentford. Uh, not Brentford. Forest. Palace. 
It is Forrest Williams. Get in. The the average age of the squad was 24 years old. Um, the previous youngest was um, in 1993 by Ipswich. Yeah, right. Well, so wait, two, two in a row. Well done. Well mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, that does deserve a bit of a well done, wait, well done. I told you all, I'm uh, I'm moving like Arsenal this year. I just want to say, I just want to say, at one stage you did have a six-point lead over me last year, so that's true. I think yeah. that baby brain could be back. I'll be back. But so. I, I think <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you started with about the same lead as well. Yeah, I, I did actually. One, yeah, <laughs> getting embarrassing. My levy, you know. <laughs> yeah, you had to step it up for sure, for sure. Well, that's uh, that's another episode, boys. But I uh, I do want to talk about the fact that we got week three again. Some interesting games coming up in the in the next phase. Obviously, for all our teams, Wade, you're away at Bournemouth, uh, and of course we have that uh, small matter at Old Trafford there, Rudds. And maybe this is a bit of a segue. Are you are you intrigued? Are you excited about that game after the shellacking at the hands of Bournemouth over the uh, sorry at Brentford? I mean, okay, let's just talk about one minute there. 4-0 at halftime against Brentford. What uh, on earth? 4-0, uh, not even a halftime, 35 minutes. Um, so, look, I think the team are in big trouble um, at the moment. I think there's is, is no confidence in that team. So, um, they are very weak. The spirit is down low. I think it, um, you know... Any type of adversity that hits their team and, you know, they are scrambling for answers, uh, they are pointing fingers and they are crumbling. Um, that is, that's as, as plain as I can put it. The quality evades them. There are some good players there, but the, the quality on show, uh, what you are seeing is the worst of the players. It's like your weaknesses are profounded when they are playing um, and, and, they, and they just look in total, total disarray. So, you know, there's a real opportunity for a big embarrassment again this week coming up. I think there's, I don't think there's many United supporters. I think I saw a, a video where there's a United supporter who was watching the Brentford game. And I think as it got to 4 0, he said, put his t- he put a towel over the TV. And he sits in there, the towel over the TV, and now and again, he just says, he peeks through to see what the score was, and then he puts the towel, towel back down. You know, I think that's that, that's the way some of the United supporters are going to want to this. You know, you, you know, like when you're, when you're lighting, you're watching scary movies, and, you, and you're ducking under the blanket, and you're saying, hey, can I see can I see something? Hey, no, that's a scary part. Let me duck. If us on, on, on Monday or Tuesday morning, which um, for us in terms of uh, in sitting in Australia, yeah, but... Uh, you know, let's see what they can do in the transfer market. That looks a shambles itself. We've got uh, two weeks left. I'll, I'll hold judgment until I see who comes in and what's not. I know there's a lot, lot of rumors, a lot of players coming in that look that just looks ridiculous. But I'll reserve judgment until you know those players are in. But at the moment, it's it's looking shocking. Brentford fully deserve their win. I think they were fantastic. I think they um, had a clear game plan on on how to decide and. Jamie Carragher said it well in the week to say that's a, a that's a game plan that most teams are going to now need to follow because, you know, Ten Hag's at a style he wants to play, he wants us to play out from the back, and that's, you know, once a team can do that and do it well, then they'll do, you know, then that's one thing. But when they're still trying to pick those pieces up and they can't, you know, you, you, it's, it's, it's one of those where it can expose you so bad um, that you can throw away big games quite early. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, let's see what Ten Hag does. Does he stick by his by his principles and he stick through the playing of the back or does he, you know, alter it because you, you, you're playing one of the best pressing teams in the league and you're saying, oh, well, you know, let's, let's bypass the press and try to play long. But uh, scary stuff, scary stuff. Well, well, it certainly will be interesting. You know, Liverpool obviously... In a bit of mixed form at the minute with two draws. Um, having said that, I guess if you if you give us the opportunity to press you up high with the way you are, and I mean Brentford exposed that pretty badly, and yeah. a team as capable as Liverpool is is probably going to do something 
Yeah, something but Liverpool worse. in bad form. Are they in bad bad form? They've not, had, they've not, had bad results, but the performances are form, there. I'd say, you know, yeah. With, with the ten men after you know Darwin got sent off, well, that, you know Liverpool looked looked fantastic. You know, um, I thought they they pushed. They you know if they came out with the win, they'd be you know they would be fully deserved it. If they won against the Fulham game, maybe that's not one where they deserve. I thought Fulham would probably, but I think um, there was enough in there, enough enough fight. You take that result, you you move on. I think uh, against Crystal Palace, um, you know, I know there's some comparisons, you know, the way Arsenal played against them compared to Liverpool, but I think they paid a lot more respect to Liverpool than they did for Arsenal. I think that, you know, um, you know all due respect to, to Arsenal, you know, they didn't play at five at the back for Arsenal and they did for, for, for Liverpool. So that makes yeah, them look big. Yeah. That is a, a different thing to to sort of to, to play through. Um, United haven't played five at the back. Um, I don't think so. I think Ten Hag's going to stick by his principles, which means, you know, there's, there's every chance there'll be some joy there for the likes of Salah and Diaz, but not uh, Nunes. <laughs> not Nunes. Well, hopefully Bobby comes back in and uh, we do have a little bit of a few injuries this week so we'll see what that team lays out uh, for next week's game but whatever whatever happens it certainly will be another blockbuster affair and we will uh, we'll see how it all unfolds Rods. Wade I guess you guys got Bournemouth confident of getting a result there yeah look I think it's important for us um, if we are going to reach the heights that a lot of fans are expecting this year um, we need to be putting teams like this away we go to Bournemouth, and then after that, we play Fulham at home and Villa at home. Um, and our home form has been very good under Mikel pretty much since he's come in. So um, I'm feeling confident going into it, but, you know, we need to get the job done at the end of the day. And um, I want to see another good performance. You know, we've been attacking, we've been creating chances. So it's important that we keep the momentum going because after this run of these next three games, I think we play... United or Spurs? Um, so those are teams that I guess we're more in direct competition with, you know. So, um, yeah, we need to keep it going. But feeling good at the moment and um, hoping for another big performance this weekend. Away from our three sides, the one game I am intrigued for is, uh, of course, Newcastle at home to Manchester City. Be very interesting to see how Eddie Howe goes against Manchester City. Of course, Haaland not scoring in their final uh, demolition of Bournemouth, um, which does uh, make it interesting. He was involved here and there, but, you know, uh, people blow everything up with uh, with Nunes and Haaland every week now. If they score, they the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. If they don't score, it's a crisis and they can't fit in quick enough. Yeah. So but, but, <laughs> it'll just, be funny think, to see. Just quickly on the Haaland thing, right? So I know he wasn't involved in terms of being on the ball and touches and stuff, but... I thought it was amazing in terms of a centre-forward in the direct performance and how it opened up for the rest of them, even that given De Bruyne goal as an example. So, Haaland had no involvement in that goal whatsoever. But if you watch that goal, he's making a run forward as KDB is on the ball and he drags two defenders because it's, because it's Haaland. And all of a sudden, like like a Christmas present, it opened, I know it's still a fantastic finish outside the foot to colour it in, but it opened, the heavens open up for, for KDB to score. And he got taken off. And one of the things I thought was interesting was what Klopp said, um, sorry, what Pep said um, about taking him off because he started wanting to look for the ball and come into the mid- midfield. And, and Pep was like, hang on, you got to play centre forward because you are, you know, as much as you're not on the ball and you want to get more involved, but you're creating so much for us by just being that present centre forward to play um you know so you want to make sure that he continues in that so um i, I don't know if it's such a big deal i never know he has a he has a quiet game eight touches one of those is a fantastic touch for for gundigan to go through on goals so like if, if i'll take that if i got a player who's gonna having a shit game eight touches and, and still having a goal involvement of just eight touches i think that's 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 impressive yeah, I think we'll see more of this as the season unfolds. With, um, of course, and then you had Darwin getting sent off and having a bit of red mist in that game, which deservedly did get blown up because it was absolutely stupidity on his part for what he did. But as the season unfolds, he's a young man. He's made a mistake. We will certainly see how these two settle into their team. Mm. 
We have, of course, got to the end of another episode, ladies and gentlemen, of What the Football Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure from Conway T, Rudds, and, of course, Wade. Don't forget us. Don't forget to catch us on all our socials on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at What the Football Pod. Of course, you can catch all episodes on our streaming services on Apple Podcasts and, of course, on Podbean at What the Football. It's been a pleasure bringing you another episode, and we'll see you again all next week.